With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, Dolphins fans. Welcome to another episode of On the Fin Side. Have a great show here for you tonight as free agency starts to settle down and die down a little bit. We get closer and closer to the NFL draft. We have Mike Dixon here from CBS Radio joining us here tonight. And about half past the hour, we'll have Chris Kaufman, C.K. Parrott, talking to us about the Dolphins' cornerback positions. So to talk about a little bit of Dolphins news before we start jumping into that, the Dolphins have, whether you want to you know, put it like this or not, have addressed their offensive guard situation, signed Craig Urbic, uh, released by the Buffalo Bills a little bit earlier this offseason. As a result of that, the Dolphins are not – that's not going to sacrifice anything with the Dolphins and giving up a compensatory pick next year. So the Dolphins are still probably looking at third, fifth, and sixth-round picks as far as the compensatories for the losses of Olivier Vernon, um, uh, Lamar Miller, Richard Matthews, and Derek Shelby, which we'll also talk about with Mike Dixon here as well. So Mike joins us uh, f- from the Orlando, Florida area to talk a little bit about uh, the Dolphins. So, Mike, thank you for joining us tonight. And uh, give us a little bit of background about yourself. Hey, Cat, uh, we actually lost Mike. Um, I'm working on getting him back on the line here shortly. So. Okay. Uh, if you want to talk a little more about Carl Urbic real quick, I'll, I'll be right or Craig Urbic, I'll be right back with him. Yeah, Craig, Craig Urbic is, uh, oddly enough, was replaced by our beloved Richie Incognito this past year uh, with the Buffalo Bills at the left guard spot. So he was a, really a backup for the Bills at, at both of those guard positions. 30 years old, he'll be 31 here. Uh, in September, and so a, a, a veteran presence, uh, and and now it really sets up an interesting competition uh, at both of those guard spots, because you've got at, at the left guard spot you've got incumbent Dallas Thomas, uh, challenged by Jermon Bushrod, who was signed after being cut from the Bears last year. We'll move from tackle to guard, and then Dallas Thomas also fits in that mix, that mix unfortunately uh, throughout the year. And at the right guard spot, Billy Turner looks like he's going to return. Had kind of an up-and-down first year as the Miami Dolphins starting right guard as well. So Urbic uh, could potentially fit into that mix uh, at, at either left guard or right guard. Paul, do you have an opinion of, of Urbic in one way or another and how it will benefit the team? Um, I, I honestly don't think he's going to unseat anybody. If anything, he's going to be kind of a swing guy um, that fills in. I know there's a lot of guys along the offensive line that showed some injury tendencies last season. So, I mean, that may be where you see him come into play. I mean, they just got Bushrod a couple weeks ago and looked to be slotting him in at guard. And it sounds like Tannenbaum's high on Douglas and Thomas and uh, Billy Turner. So, we'll we'll see what comes of it. I'm a little leery here, but, you know, getting everybody back healthy is going to be a big boost no matter what anyway. Urbic started four games for the Bills last year, nine the year before, and before that was a heck of a, a, a free agent 
signing for them. The Steelers gave up on him after one year back in 2009, drafting him in the third round out of Wisconsin. Uh, and then uh, between 2011 and 2013, Craig Urbick went on to start 42 games for them uh, at the guard spot. So at least a veteran guy and adds to the competition here at that spot. My my preference is that Billy Turner gets that right guard spot, beats out all the other veterans, shows some more development and improvement. And then at the left guard spot, uh, my, my hope is that Jameel Douglas nails that down because even though Douglas didn't play very well last year, uh, he was a rookie, looked a little bit overwhelmed. They were they moved him to center at one point. So uh, whether they're right or they're wrong, and we're going to see, the Miami Dolphins look like they're going to be sticking with uh, what they have here unless – uh, they have um, they, they address this position even more in the NFL draft. So Mike Dixon has rejoined us here on the Finn side. Mike, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. How are you gentlemen doing this evening? Good, good. So Mike, uh, you know I know you've been a Dolphins fans for a, fan for a while. You can follow Mike on Twitter uh, at Finn's Mike F I N S Mike. So Mike, uh, taking a look at uh, well, first of all, tell us a little bit of background about yourself. Well, I was born in uh, Hartford, Connecticut, and I uh, currently live here in uh, Central Florida, Orlando, Florida. I cover the uh, Orlando Magic and the, also the Orlando City Soccer Club, which is the Orlando City Lions. And I'm also currently a producer with the Brazil Radio, formerly CBS Sports Radio here in Orlando. But I also work with a few coaches such as uh, Richie Adubata and Barry Mustel. They also do the live play-by-play for the Orlando Magic on ESPN 5E. So um, that's a little bit about, about my background. In addition to that, um, obviously, I'm a huge Dolphins fan, but I don't openly root for them as a professional. But everybody knows I seriously root for the Dolphins. So. Uh, keep that behind the scenes a little bit. I, I see how it is. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, thanks again for joining us tonight. So, you know, Mike, taking a look at you, know, this is a Dolphin show, keeping with the Miami Dolphins. You know, it's been a lot of people have had some interesting opinions on on what the Dolphins have done this off season. A lot, didn't resign a lot of their own free agents. Didn't go free agent crazy like we expected Mike Tannenbaum to. What's your opinion on the off season so far? First of all, what are a few things that you like about what the Dolphins have done? I like everything about this off season because Miami isn't being Miami big in the free agency. Over the past 10 years, the Dolphins have spent over $600 million. Do you know what their winning percentage is? Under 500. Not good. Exactly. And (laughs) if you look at it, they they picked up Adam Gase. He was the most coveted coach this offseason. Obviously, Miami won him. Philadelphia, San Francisco. So, having said that, Stephen Ross, he did an exceptional job there because he picked up the most coveted head coach this offseason. And Adam Go- Adam Gase is known for being a QB whisperer. That's great. Now, if you look at the offseason moves, I'm, you know, I thought about it for a moment. I was like, ah, you know what? They signed Byron and Maxwell, Kiko Alonso. They, they made the trade with Philadelphia. They also moved down five spots. So, looking at the big picture, Miami wanted to get three starters out of this trade with Philadelphia. So if they potentially get three starters in 2016, thumbs up. But if they get two out of three, that's still a thumbs up because you're gaining more than you're losing, despite the fact that they lost Lamar Miller, Olivier Vernon, but they also picked up Mario Williams. And, oh, by the way, he's had a stellar career for the Buffalo Bills and the Houston uh, Texans, so that's, yep. that's not bad. 
And then I'm not I'm not sold on Byron Maxwell, but if he could prove it that he's the guy that can hold it down, replacing Brent Grimes, come on, bring it on. But again, we I, I won't I won't I won't praise Byron Maxwell until I actually sit there and I, I speak with him, I, I study his film because I had the opportunity to do that just yet. But I I think the Miami Dolphins did great because they didn't spend a lot this offseason. Yeah, that was a big big surprise to me, too, and I think a big surprise to a lot of us. I, I did expect Mike Tannenbaum to, to treat free agency like an all-you-can-eat buffet, and, and he didn't, and I was extremely uh, surprised that, that, that he didn't um, do that. And not only that, but the Dolphins, something that they really haven't done in previous years, they're going to get compensatory picks this coming year, unless they somehow blow it by, you know, going out and signing some average free agents, but I, which I don't expect at this, at this time. So no, I, I, I'm encouraged by the fact that the, that the dolphins did not do that, that they, they didn't go free agent crazy like they did in the past. Cause it just, like you said, Mike, it didn't work. And uh, a little disappointed that they didn't add a little bit more at the guard position. Cause I thought they could have potentially re-signed a Lamar Miller and then added another offensive guard uh, at that spot. And then they head into the draft, and now you have your entire roster except for – your entire offense except for Brandon Albert, under 28 years old, and you can dedicate yourself completely to the defensive side of the ball. Mario Williams is something I loved in the beginning. Exactly. That's a fair assessment right there. Because yeah, and Mary, but Mario Williams, I I love I love the signing of Mario Williams. I am okay. Uh, I I'm disappointed the Dolphins didn't trade a later round pick for that for the Philadelphia Eagles because I thought it may have been a free agent dump. But um, going from and going from eight to thirteen this year really is uh, you know that that could be a considerable drop in talent based on the previous year. Paul, what do you think over there? Any thoughts so far on what we've talked about? No, I mean, I, I still think they could. Uh, I don't believe Jeff Schwartz actually signed yet. I think he visited with uh, the Cardinals today. So, I mean, he's still out there on the market. Um, so he's somebody that they could look at. Is there anybody else still on the market you see for the guard position that Miami could go after? Uh, no, really, I, I thought that Louis Vasquez, Jeff Schwartz, and Zane Beatles were, were the three at least most well-known names. And then you had Craig Urbick somewhere after that. You know, Ur- Urbick has starting experience. It's not like the guy's 35 years old. He's he's 30, and he does have starting experience in the league. Former third-round draft pick as well. So um, we'll see. I, I'm Again, I, I, I hate to bring it back up again and again, but I, I wish they would have signed a Jeff Allen or Brandon Brooks at that guard position. Really solidified that heading into the draft. And, and then we know we have four good offensive linemen. Then we can take our other guards, Jameel Douglas, Billy Turner specifically, and, the, and then pour them into one position and have them compete. But, you know, uh, one good thing, again, Dolphins didn't go free agent crazy here. So looking at the NFL draft, it you know, one thing about dropping from the eighth spot down to the 13th spot with the trade by the, by the Eagles is uh, they're going to have a, a smaller talent base to work with and, and to draft. So, Mike, uh, you know, this is a game that I, I play with a lot of people who come on the show. I'm going to remove several people from the equation here. Oh, interesting, interesting. I like I like a little pop quiz. I like a little surprise. Absolutely. So here, here is that. So Dolphins pick 13th. I'm going to take nine players off the board, and they're, they're these. Uh, quarterback Jared Goff, quarterback Carson Wentz, offensive tackle Laramie Tunzel, offensive tackle Ronnie Stanley, 
defensive end, or excuse me, running back Ezekiel Elliott, defensive end Joey Bosa, defensive end DeForest Buckner, linebacker Miles Jack, cornerback Jalen Ramsey, cornerback Vernon Hargreaves. In fact, I, I think I may have listed 10 guys on there. So taking those guys <laughs> off the board, and the reason I, I picked those 10 is because you look at just about every prospect list and yeah of course there's a possibility somebody could fall to 13 but everybody just about everybody has those 10 guys off their off their board by by 13 maybe not a maybe not some you might see an Ezekiel Elliott or a Vernon Hargreaves here there but we take those 10 guys off the list who are your top two uh for the Dolphins at 13 well I want to continue with bidding on on the uh, defense from this offseason if you look at it, you have Cameron Wake, you have Indomitian Sue, you also have Mario Williams and Andre Bridge. Uh, Andre Bridge. So look at that. You got Kiko Alonso, Byron Maxwell. We need a thumper at linebacker. So I would put in linebacker from out of Alabama, Reggie Ragland. With that, you build on your front seven. You get you, you want to build something after what the Denver Broncos did in the Super Bowl. They shut down uh, the Carolina Panthers in a sense. They stopped Cam. They they stopped Cam Newton, and he was known for escaping the pocket, being athletic. So with that, you want to have something that you want to have a team, a front seven that can attack Tom Brady. Because quite frankly, if you can't win the year division, there's there's an outside chance that you won't make the playoffs. And uh, quite frankly, the New York Jets they have improved on defense. Uh, Buffalo Bills, well, the Buffalo Bills as well. So you want to build your defense. We know what we have in a uh, Brian Tannehill on the offense right now. But we still have to see the pieces get put together. And um, for that second pick, I'm sorry. I did like uh, Carson Wentz. So I didn't miss that piece there. So forgive no, me right. for that it, one. But it, it's, give it's me, good. Give me uh, Reggie Raglan. Go ahead. Yeah, and really, too, uh, uh, Mike, I, I know one player out of that list, uh, out of those top ten, that has a real chance to fall to 13. That's been That's been shown is Vernon Hargreaves the cornerback from Florida, and I know you're very high on him, too. Uh, what do you know about him? What have you seen from him, and how do you think he would fit into this team if drafted at 13? He's Brent Grimes 2.0. Like, not to just compare the measurables. Let's compare the film. This guy mm-hmm. is fast. He's aggressive. He knocks the wide receivers off their routes, and he, he has a nice vertical, too. This guy This guy is a beast, like, that's the kind of guy I want on the perimeter on my football field. You know, that's the guy you want yeah. that's out there to say, you know what, all right, I'm lining up against Brandon Marshall. Yeah, he may have a few inches on me, but you know what, I'm going a, I'm to a beat him up. I'm going to knock him off his game. That's what I like about Vernon Hargreaves. And Absolutely. something about, something about uh, Coach Jim's defense, it's just they're, they're NFL guys in that program early in his first season coming out of Florida. So – to me, again, you want to build on that defense for this offseason, whether it be through free agency and the draft. And I'm and I, I'm happy that Miami is focused on the defense because Ryan Tidehill. And I, I want to take a quote out from Adam Gase today. He said this. Um, I had a, had an opportunity to listen to it while I was driving back from work today. Adam Gase said this quote: "I see an accurate guy. I see a guy that's real that has real good movement skills and a guy that's tough." So I, I was thinking about that. I'm like, you know what? Ryan Tannehill passed for 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, over 4,200 yards. He had a quarterback rating of about 88. And then his completion uh-huh. number was 61%. And 
then I just I was like, man, you know what? His overall career completion percentage is sixty one point nine percent. So I'm like, you know what? He is accurate. He he can move the pocket. You you roll him out. He has he has an option game. Um, quick passes. This thing's about Ryan Tina, and he's also tough, Adam Gase. So I was like, you know what? Adam Gase compared to Joe Philbin, he's a step up. And Ryan Tino took over 150 sacks since his rookie season back in 2012. Gave up 35. The Dolphins' offensive line allowed 35 sacks, 45 plus and beyond. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. 45 plus right. and beyond. That's how what yeah. grade the Miami Dolphins' offensive line. And they've been having a makeshift line since 2013-2012. I'm sorry. That's one thing that frustrates me about this team. you got to right. find a way to protect your quarterback. And you, the Dolphins, exactly right. You know, they've been sacked a lot. You know, Ryan Tannehill isn't the quickest at getting rid of the football. But, man, when you look back at, heck, 2013, at one point the guy had Jonathan Martin, uh, left tackle, Tyson Clayboat, right tackle, and Dallas Thomas at guard. That's borderline malpractice. Then you look at this past (laughs) year. Absolutely. You look at this past year, you know, Dallas Thomas, Billy Turner, Jason Fox, just about ruining every drive. And luckily the Dolphins are going to get Juwan James back this year. Hopefully Albert can stay on longer. Pouncey's a Pro Bowl player. Uh, That guard position, again, I I wish the Dolphins had put an exclamation point on that, solidified that unit. But they they did sign Craig Urbic, Jermon Bushrod. Hopefully those those moves uh, uh, do work out. But looking on the defensive side of the ball, uh, uh, to pay with Mario Williams and Byron Maxwell and Kiko Alonso, the Dolphins, uh, who they've acquired this offseason. Reggie Ragland is definitely somebody who who tugs at, at Paul's heartstrings too. So, Paul, I'm, I'm sure you were glad to hear Mike say that. Yeah, I I, uh, I, I had to laugh because I could just hear you cringe through the phone, Kat, when, when he said Reggie <laughs> Ragland. That, even when he just said they need a thumper on that defense, I heard you cringing already because you knew where he was going. Um, Mike, can you go a little more into how you would see the Dolphins using Ragland as well as fitting Kiko Alonso into that mix? I know for me, I looked at him kicking to the outside that may spell the end for Koamisi, um, if that were the case, and then having Ragland in the middle. Um, but what, what do you see in terms of, of how Ragland and Kiko would fit into that defense? Well, what I see, I see the same thing exactly. I want to switch him out. I want him to be like a hybrid. He can spell uh, a few a few defensive ends. You can swap them out. You put them on the outside, too. Now, he's a pure linebacker. However, I think he's a versatile linebacker. So, somebody happens to get an injury or you just want to shift him over, I, I, I would put it like this. Middle linebacker, Kiko Alonso. Put Reggie Raglan at the mic. And also, I would put Koei Misi back out on the Sam linebacker on the outside weak side. But Again, I don't know enough about Van Joseph, the defensive coordinator just, we just got from Cincinnati. So I want to see what he puts together because who knows? He might be another Kevin Coyle. I hope not, but we need to learn how to shut down a run because statistically the Dolphins rank in the bottom half shutting down a run and in certain areas where they can improve on it and they need to get better. So it's it's all about the game too. It's all about – where where my who are the who are they playing week one week two because things change dramatically. Well, one thing about Vance Joseph uh, going back to uh, 
you look at advanced Joseph going back to Cincinnati last year, one, a couple of players for them at linebacker who were good and actually bigger guys in that four, three defense were Ray Maluga and, and Vincent Ray, two players that, that did very well for him. Um, uh, the Bengals defense at that time. I- interesting where those linebackers would, would met was, would, um, be dispersed because uh, one thing that is attractive about getting Kiko Alonso is you pair him with Jelani Jenkins. And then when you do that four, two, five, look, you've got two uh, linebackers in the middle of your defense who can cover a lot of ground. Very good in the past. Exactly. And then Reggie Ragland, you, you have as that thumper. I, again, you're right, Paul. I hate that word uh, because thumper tells me it's a two-down linebacker. And um, even though I love everything about Reggie Ragland, I, I have some concerns about uh, a linebacker that only plays two downs. But I seem to be outnumbered on that because a lot of people do have Reggie Ragland projected somewhere in the teens. Me, personally, I wouldn't take him till the end of the uh, end of the first round, early second. Uh, Koa Misi as well, and, and something that, that Paul – brought up here is, you know, uh, has some experience at, at middle linebacker, outside linebacker. I'd like to see him a little bit at defensive end as well because he played there at Utah, never has had that opportunity in the NFL in a 4-3 defense, could uh, could add some versatility uh, to the defense as well. Um, but Vernon Hargraves, big, uh, big talent, and I, I hope that he can fall to that 13th spot. And it's not impossible. He's not the greatest – um, he's fast. He has good size, but he's really physically good across the board. He doesn't have those exact measurables that Jalen Ramsey have. So maybe he's more of a mid first rounder, but right now he's being projected uh, as a top 10 pick. So, yeah. And so anything else uh, that that's jumped off the page at you, Mike, um, really in the Dolphins off season that you think we should be excited about? Adam Gase. That's that, that was, to me, Adam Gase is the biggest surprise. That's that's who you should be excited about. This guy really does know quarterbacks. He really knows quarterbacks. And yep. I'm going to have to repeat that again and again because Tannehill, he just has this mental block. And they might most people not, might not like what I have to say about that. But I was in Jacksonville, and I saw Tannehill shut down in the locker room. And the media swarmed him. They just pushed him outside. It's like, ah, oh, he's not available right now. Uh, he's going to be available at the uh, press conference. So he came out. He gave his typical line. And, oh, yeah, I just want to prove. I want to get better. Da-da-da. Just like uh, in Dabba this I don't know. Something about this team that Joe Philbin screwed up their confidence. And I'm I'll glad t- that Joe Philbin's gone. I'll tell you what happened. Joe Philbin was busy picking up gum wrappers and uh, not <laughs> trying to coach the football team. Um, yeah, Joe Philbin. Yeah, I, I think and, I was about to saw him pick up a, a, a gum wrapper in the locker room. He just walked right <laughs> out about, oh, a gum wrapper. Yeah, I mean, he he, he was he cared about the most uh, uh, unimportant of details. And I feel bad saying that. Again, I've met Joe Philbin. Paul has, too. I don't know if you've had the chance. Great guy. Um, but it felt Great like talking to your grandpa. It felt like Absolutely. talking to your grandpa. If I wasn't intimidated by him at all, and I've met you know really all the coaches dating back to Dave Wanstead, that, then that says something about how how the the players could do. Uh, you know, he he's an offensive line coach with the with the Colts now. Best of luck to him. But yeah, Adam Gase, that's the biggest thing. Is first of all the the act of firing Joe Philbin alone. Uh, is a good thing uh, because th- this team was not responding to him. And when you look at the amount of just physically talented players 
on the roster. Uh, from Ryan Tannehill to you look on the defensive side of the ball, the Tony Lippitz, Bobby McCain, G, uh, Deion Jordan when he wasn't failing drug tests, Chris McCain, just physically talented players. I'm not saying they'd amount to anything, but physically talented football players. They never seem to develop under Joe Philbin. And with Adam Gase and Vance Joseph, you have two guys who consistently have that pattern of coaching players up. Going back to your point there on the, on the quarterback position, Mike, uh, you look back, uh, you can go on down the line, back to the 90s when this guy was in his early 20s. Uh, he, he was Mike Martz's uh, quarterback coach um, before, he, he, which Mike Martz never let happen. He worked with John Kitna. He immediately had his best year. Worked with Tim Tebow. Somehow uh, made him look like, at, at points, like uh, he was, I'm not going to say respectable, but he could actually do something with the football team. Uh, Jay Cutler revolutionized him. Uh, you can go go down the list. This is somebody who repeatedly improves quarterbacks. That's the that's the most important, the funnest thing uh, with the Miami Dolphins. Not only that, but Adam Gase wanted to be here, and you'd have to think partially because of Ryan Tannehill. I agree with that. And for Adam Gase to make that assessment today about his accuracy, his athleticism, and you know he's a tough quarterback. And on top of that. It's a great franchise. And at the end of the day, you have a quarterback. He has he holds the ball 60% of the time during the game. And you want to you want to coach a quarterback in Sorry, I'm sorry guys, I have a call coming in. Uh hopefully we can block that out. Let me try to Sorry guys. Okay. No, no, it's it's okay. In fact, in fact, you know what? We've actually got another guest that we're going to bring on in a couple minutes. Mike, thank you very much for joining us here tonight. Uh hope we can have you on again, okay? Uh, thanks for having me, and you guys keep it up. On the fin side, you guys are amazing. All right, thanks a lot. Yeah, so are you. I appreciate the feedback. Mike Dixon yes, joining us. <laughs> That's Sorry Mike Dixon that. joining us. Follow him on Twitter uh, at FinsMike. Uh, he's kind enough to join us here tonight. We're going to get Chris Kaufman lined up in a few minutes here uh, as well. So, Paul, uh, taking a look at uh, the Dolphins here in free agency, uh, you know, we, we haven't really dug deep as, you know, over the last couple of weeks. So, you know, we've, we've, we've talked a little bit. Um, uh, what are a few things that just a few different uh, uh, thoughts that you have about the offseason as it's progressing? Um, I really like that the Dolphins haven't gone out and overspent um, in free agency. Um, they've managed to bring a few talents in that were, for the most part, under the radar, um, like such as Kidas uh, at safety, or Kudis. I, I still don't quite get that right. Um, I like that they were able to get Mario Williams on, on a bargain salary, uh, which if you told me two years ago getting a defensive end of Mario Williams caliber at $8 million a season, was was doable. I would have been like, it's a lot of money, but I guess so. Now it's an absolute discount price, especially when you look at the money that's flying around this offseason, more in anticipation of the cap inflation, it seems like, than, than anything else. Um, those are two of the big things. I mean, I, I'm a little curious to see where they're going. I know we already talked about Gates being a, a massive positive as well as his coaching staff, but I'm a little curious to see where they're going with some of the folks they've let walk. Um, because, let's face it, they did let some talent walk out the door here this offseason. Um, so they I, did, I, and that's, I that's the, biggest thing that, the biggest thing that chaps away at me. 
is that the Dolphins couldn't find a way to bring Lamar Miller back. Um, C.J. Anderson didn't work out. Uh, and, yeah, it's 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 not a good situation with that. Now, now the Dolphins have Jay Ajayi as their starting running back. Damian Williams currently listed as a backup on the roster as well. And we'll talk about a lot of different uh, running backs uh, as as well as as free as a as it uh, 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 progresses here. So, Paul, do we have uh, CK Parrot on the line? We do have Mr. CK Parrot here on the line. Chris, how you doing tonight, bud? I'm doing great. How you guys doing? Good, good. Thanks again for joining us. We're getting closer and closer to draft season, so that means more CK Parrot here on the Finn side. Yeah, and you know, before we delve into that, the Dolphins have signed a couple of free agents here over the last six days. Guard Craig Urbic and defensive end Andre Branch, who we didn't mention at the beginning of the show, signed him last Wednesday to really take that perhaps that Derek Shelby role as as the Dolphins, maybe first down defender, then bring Cam Wake in. On, on passing down. So let's start with Andre Branch. Chris, is this a signing that makes sense for you? Uh, there are a couple of ways that the signing does make sense and, you know, a couple of ways, of course, that it doesn't make that much sense. I'm not sure what they're planning on as far as his role is concerned because I know that there's this uh, this idea that he's a run defense kind of guy uh, at defensive end, but I don't think the tape necessarily shows that. Um, I think he's more of a speed pass rusher type. And so, I mean, this is this actually came up when Andre conducted his conference call with the media. Uh, he was asked about whether he's better against the run than against the pass. And I think we live sort of in a, in a, in a PFF, a pro football focused world. And so, so that shapes people's ideas about these players. And, and you know, Andre was a little bit miffed at that, that perception. He's like, is that what somebody told you? That's, you know, that's, that's, not, that's not the case at all. Uh, when I look at him, he's a wide rusher. He's a wide rusher. He's a speed rusher. He's very, very athletic and not very strong. Uh, he gets kind of physically bowled around by tight ends in, in the run game, uh, He's not a, a guy that I, I trust to be stout against the run. What he can do well, and the reason that he's probably got a reputation for being a decent run defender, is he retraces well. He's very agile, and he can uh, break down in space and run around and give chase and pursue the ball. So as a guy that worked mostly on the weak side of the defense as a wide rusher, he got an opportunity to do that in Jacksonville. Um, and so that's where he was able to make some plays against the run. But this is not a guy you don't think of him like you would a Derek Shelby. You should not anyway. Um, I think that this is a guy that they're going to rotate in in the pass rush and they're going to see if they can translate his speed and his athleticism into pass rush uh, production, I think, um, rota- in full rotation with both Cameron Wake and uh, perhaps also Mario Williams. So what you have to keep in mind is, is something that probably got revealed today also when Adam Gase did his, uh, his, his press conference with, um, I think it was at the owners' meetings, he did a very long press conference, and I think more and more as we go into this, it's becoming more obvious that the defense is going to be a wide nine defense. Uh, I knew, I think we all knew that they were going to work in some wide nine principles, and uh, and it's been sort of ambiguous about how much it was going to be uh, wide nine versus you know some Cincinnati style defense. 
I think more and more, you know, with the hiring of Jim Washburn, and today Adam Gase even talked about it. He said that Jim Washburn, the reason they hired him is he is he is an expert in this defense and this style of defense. Well, the defense that they're talking about is wide nine. So, uh, so I think that more and more we go on, the, the identity of this defense is probably going to be wide splits, and uh, and that's why you're looking at these defensive ends like Mario Williams and Cameron Wake and now Andre Branch, and you're seeing them as wide rush specialists, and that's how they're going to fit in. Uh, as far as Andre Branch's overall talent level, you probably already you know tell by the way that I'm talking about him. I'm not terribly like high him. on him. Yeah, I'm not terribly high on him based on what I saw on the Jacksonville tape. I watched him against Buffalo because that's going to be a, an opponent that he faces twice this year. Um, I also watched him uh, on other occasions. I watched him against Indianapolis. And even his best games against his best game against Indianapolis, I wasn't very high on what he was showing. And I certainly wasn't very high at all on what he showed against Buffalo. So I am concerned there and hopefully they're just not done at that position. So sticking with that point, Chris, uh, looking at the, that wide nine defense, which you know spreads, spreads the defensive line out, a, a very beneficial, very impactful uh, for the pass rushers. You know, Jim Schwartz is also somebody that, that operates that defense, a new defensive coordinator for, for the Philadelphia Eagles. How does that change the responsibilities of Indomic and Sue in the defensive tackle position and the linebackers? Well, I think what you can expect from Indomic and Sue is to be reunited with Jim Washburn in this style of defense. We're probably going to get the player that we expected to get when we gave him as much money as you would give a franchise quarterback. Um, I think that Generally speaking, when I see large, large free agent signings, uh, you don't necessarily see that big impact in the first year. I know you'd like to, but sometimes it does take a little bit to uh, to get their uh, to get their feet wet with the new team, the new environment, the new system. He definitely struggled in Kevin Coyle's system that resulted in Kevin Coyle's being fired. Um, now you have a different system. You have a system, a new old system for him, if you will. And I think that the second year as a big free agent acquisition is generally the big year for these guys, even it, which was even the case, if you remember, for, uh, for Mike Wallace, uh, even though he was generally a free agent bust, but his second year was the year for him. Um, you're going to see him have that, that, that year that he can have, and it could be a defensive player of the year type, uh, type of season for him. So I would really expect that. And I think that they're really excited about Mario Williams, too. Uh, and you look at what he he did in 2014 in Buffalo's defense when Jim Schwartz was there and we had a similar style of defense. Uh, he had 14 and a half sacks that year. And Adam Gase talked about it today. You know, he, he played Buffalo. He played Mario Williams. He had, the Denver Broncos played them that year and he was you know he was very difficult to block so i think that they envision you know mario williams going back to the system that made him successful and you know coming away from the rex ryan system which kind of made him even though he's a prototype defensive end by on paper it, in rex ryan's defense he was kind of a tweener uh he was in between two different you know prototypes that he would have needed to be to be successful there um so I think that uh, that's kind of what they envision along the defensive line. And, of course, Cameron Wake should should absolutely thrive in the system. 
Absolutely. And how about Craig Urbick, a guard signed today, released by the Buffalo Bills, 30 years old, has some starting experience in the league, but uh, only have, has only started 13 games over the last two years. Is this somebody you anticipate winning one of those starting guard jobs, or how do you think he figures in? I think he figures into the competition. They're taking a little bit of a shotgun approach, I think, uh, with the offensive line, and, and they're not done yet. Um by by the indications that I have anyway, uh, they're not really done yet. I think that they're just going to bring a whole lot of bodies and a whole lot of veterans and a whole lot of young guys to camp and, and see and see what happens. Um, that includes German Bushrod. That includes Craig Urbeck. I don't really expect him to earn the starting job over Billy Turner. I think that Billy Turner gets painted with a broad brush, you know, of general unhappiness with the interior offensive line and people lump him in with Dallas Thomas, it's unfair. Uh, Dallas Thomas, I, I pointed this out today earlier, uh, Dallas Thomas allowed 54 pressures this year. That's hurries, hits, and sacks, and Billy Turner only allowed 25. Yet, for all you hear that people talk about these two, you know, they're, they're, they're twinsies. You know, they're, they're, both, they're both terrible at pass protection, and they're both, uh, they're both awful football players. It's just not true. Um, I think that we've saw we've seen with Billy Turner that he is good at, in the run game. Um, I think we've seen that in the pass protection he can have lapses, uh, but uh, they are lapses and they tend to be isolated. It doesn't tend to be something that's just habitual play after play, unlike with Dallas Thomas. So yes, Dallas Thomas is out. There's no there's no way that he ends up starting unless things are really really bad. But um, but Billy Turner, I still would pencil him in as as a starter unless he really screws it up this off season in their program. And I wouldn't put it past him necessarily. Uh, he's got to work hard. He's got to show up and and do the things they want him to do. But if he does all those things, I think he's going to end up the starter. Now, do you think Dallas Thomas's roster spot may be in trouble? I believe he's due about one point seven million dollars this year. You've got Jermon Bushrod in here. Jameel Douglas factors somewhere into the mix at center and guard. Uh, is this the last maybe we've seen of Dallas Thomas in the Dolphins uniform? I think very likely, yes. Um, I think you look at the the money that he is owed and his disappointment, you know, through the years so far. And and when you get through training camp, I expect that the competition will be heavy enough that he's pushed out. And at that point, you start to wonder, especially when you have guys that have the ability to play tackle, guys that have the ability to play guard. Um, Dallas Thomas's versatility that way is not necessarily going to be coveted, and then they're just going to be looking at that, that salary cap figure. And he's, you know, he's, he's in line. He's in line for, for that fate. Um, I think they look at German Bushrod, and Adam Davis even talked about it today. You know, I think he's being unfairly critiqued by some of the beat writers because he's never played guard before. But Adam Gates pointed it out today. Last year when he lost his starting position due to injury, and it was just injury, he got injured, then Leno came in and played well. He's a young guy, so they went with Leno, and and Adam Gates admitted he lost it purely due to injury, which sucks, but it does happen in the NFL. Uh, When he came back, he – he was very open-minded about moving to other positions and he embraced it and he wanted to learn all of the positions. And Gase said that he actually practiced at all five offensive line positions in practice with the bears last season. 
uh, even center, even, you know, right guard and left guard, right tackle he played in practice. And then he even played tight end. He played tight end positions uh, during games and in practice. So he really embraced that that idea of moving around, finding a, a new position, finding any way he could to contribute on the team. And when it comes to making a position switch, I think that the buy-in is the most important thing for a veteran making that position switch. That's the thing that you can't assume. A, a veteran that's been playing offensive line for a long time, one single position for a very long time, you know, you can talk about it in fantasy ways uh, about him moving to this position or that, but, you know, try and do that with Brandon Albert, and he would he would tell you to, you know, he'd tell you to go to hell. Um, so I yep. think that German Bushrod has already embraced that, and that's what makes him an asset. That's what and that's what makes him a guy that Adam Gase is really already counting on to be, you know, kind of a five-tool backup or starter uh, on that offensive line somewhere. So I think mm-hmm. that that's a guy to watch out for. Yeah, and and Bushrod too. That that is a big part of it. And if you can have a Bushrod embracing those five line positions, even if he's not a starter and doesn't win that starting job, uh, you may conceivably be able to head into the season with a Bushrod, a Jameel Douglas, and now even with those two guys, you've got all five backup spots covered. And then from that point, maybe add another two, a guy or two, or, or keep them on the roster along the way. So sure. very interesting, very interesting stuff. So, uh, Chris, taking a look at one of the Dolphins' biggest needs heading into the NFL draft, we're, you know, we're a little bit surprised that the Dolphins haven't added another cornerback, but then again, Adam Jones – we didn't. I don't, I don't think any of us anticipated him getting eight million a year from Cincinnati. You still have Patrick Robinson out there somewhere. It's, you know, it could be a little telling that the Saints and Chargers didn't want to bring him back. So that really lines the Dolphins up pretty well to take a look at some of these cornerbacks in the first two rounds of the NFL draft. So you know, Jalen Ramsey is a is a player from Florida State. If we count him at the cornerback spot. You know, that safety cornerback tweener. Some have him projected as high as number one to the Titans. Um, really a guy that, that we don't anticipate being on the board there at 13. Vernon Hargreaves is quite interesting. Uh, you know, he's more than likely going to go ahead of us, maybe not. But overall, when you look at Vernon Hargreaves and then this this crew of, of cornerbacks, uh, you know, Mackenzie Alexander from Clemson, Eli Apple from Ohio State. How do you think the Dolphins are going to look at that cornerback spot when the pick comes up at 13? Well, I think right now the way that the roster is stacked, they have to be looking at that position. They put themselves in position uh, to have to look at that position and perhaps force the issue. Um, we'll see how things go between now and the draft, and there could still be a move to be made. I wouldn't rule out a trade. Um, but right now, I, you know, with respect to Vernon Hargreaves, he is easily the most natural corner in the draft. Um, and I would have him at the top of the board, and this is a guy that you want. However, I would say, you know, for those people who cannot, cannot imagine that he would be there at number 13 overall, let's keep in mind that this is this is a smallish, you know, he's five foot ten or so, uh, Guy that runs around the four four five to to four five range. Um, this is not this is not the kind of guy that really really gets scouts and and GMs going as far as spending a high pick 
uh, as a as a corner. So is it really is it really so unimaginable that he would be there at 13 overall? I, I don't think so. I think I think he could very well be there. Um, you know, it could, you could find a situation where Eli Apple goes ahead of him based on measurables. And Eli Apple, by the way, is also a very polished player, in my opinion, uh, based on what I saw. He, you can tell he's very well coached um, and that he has less work to do than some other guys to, to be a really good corner. So I think that we're going to be looking at three guys at that corner spot between Vernon Hargreaves, Eli Apple, and uh, Mackenzie Alexander. And, you know, I, I just wouldn't assume that we know which, guy, which of those three is going to go, you know, top spot. Uh, ahead of one another because GMs will fall in love with different attributes. They're looking for traits, and uh, and so we'll see how it shakes out. But right now, with those three, if those three are your guys, you'd have to feel pretty confident that you can get one of them at number 13 overall. So, uh, and the other other thing I want to mention about this position and and what they're looking at is today Adam Gase also uh, talked about Byron Maxwell. And I thought it was revealing what he said. Uh, he talked about, and he said point blank at one point when he was pressed on it, um, what is Byron Maxwell, what do you see, envision him in this defense as opposed to when he struggled in, in Philadelphia, what do, you, what do you see him do well, what do you want him to do? And you know, eventually Gates got pestered enough and he just said point blank, you know, be at the line of scrimmage and press coverage. That's what he does best. That's what he did in Seattle that made him so dangerous when Seattle shut down the Denver receivers, and they're a pretty good group of receivers, by the way. Um, they shut down Denver's receivers in the Super Bowl, and then you know a year later when they played, they did well. And Byron Maxwell was part of that group, and he said that he needs to be at the line of scrimmage. He needs to be impressed. That's what he likes to do, and that's exactly what they intend to do with him, um, is put him in press as much as they, as much as they can afford so that gives you a clue about what they're thinking as far as their their corners and their corner preferences and what they want to do in the draft as well, I think. Um, and so I would be looking at Eli Apple um, as a as a potential player there, and, and Vernon Hargreaves fits that as well. And um, and I wouldn't obviously I wouldn't count out Mackenzie Alexander either. I don't see. Yeah, and, and if I could stop third. you right there, Chris, uh, a very interesting point that I want to highlight is, yeah, you do have Byron Maxwell, who who is in that six two, two hundred pound range, and has shown that level of success with Seattle before he went to Philadelphia uh, with a style that didn't fit with him. Not to say he he didn't do things wrong on his own, but uh, you know, had this has that size, has that length. You put Eli Apple opposite him. Now you've got a pair of six one, six two, you know, two hundred pound cornerbacks that are twenty and twenty eight years old. Then you can take the rest of the group, the Bobby McCain's, the Tony Lippets, the Jamar Taylors, and now really have them battle battle out for those nickel and dime roles. So that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. And one thing with Eli Apple, his birthday, August ninth, nineteen ninety five. This is somebody who's going to be not even twenty one by the time that preseason starts. And I think that's an additional appeal with Eli as well. Sure. Sure. And, and so, I'll add to that, I was just gonna say about William Jackson, who is a guy that's sort of uh, fast climbing up the boards, and he does have some fans out in the scouting world. Uh, he, by the way, Eli Apple, you know, to your point, 
uh, in the scouting world and among teams, he's more popular than he is among the media. Um, so he is he's viewed as a top fifteen guy easily. Uh, so so that just to that to that point. But as for William Jackson, when I look at him on tape, I see a guy that's uh, that's just a little bit too raw. He's making plays. He's making a lot of plays, but he's making them on kind of pure ability, and he's also giving up a lot of plays because he just doesn't really seem to know what he's doing out there from a technique and responsibility standpoint. And so I don't think that he's going to creep up into the into the fray at that pick, even though his size and speed metrics and and even you know the look at the numbers that he put up would would seem to have him be kind of a darling. I don't think that they're going to necessarily consider him, even though they do like him in that second round area. So CK, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and jump in here uh, since we're talking about Eli Apple. I know a month ago before the the combine and everything, most folks viewed him as in early round two, maybe creeping into the end of round one guy. Um, but after the combine and everything else, he's really shot up there in the consideration in the teens. Who else have you seen um, over the course of the combine and pro days, et cetera, that's been raising their stock, maybe top three guys, and lowering their stock, uh, the top three in that aspect, that would have been considered in those two ranges there? You are you, are you talking strictly about the corner position or what? What do you um, are you um, more in general? About other positions with corner, it's going to be hard to nail down three guys for that. Yeah, well, I think the guys that had that had good combines, I think that in some ways, uh, Shaq Lawson's combine opened up uh, opened up some people's eyes. Uh, one thing about Eli Apple to, to consider though is, you know, just because he was he was considered by some people in the media to be around that high second round area, low first round. That doesn't mean that's that's where the teams had him. And the feedback that I have actually gotten, and this is through through intermediaries that have spoken with directly with scouts, uh, is that he has been considered higher uh, for for teams than for the media for a while. So Eli Apple, I, I don't know that I would say that he really rose. So much um, as as he just uh, did, you know, showed what the teams already knew. I think that Shaq Lawson, like I said, uh, opened up a, a few eyes. People people that complained about his the way he got off the snap, and got off the ball at uh, Clemson. Um, I think that this was more to do with his responsibilities and and what he was what he was asked to do than anything else. But um, he had a, a very good combine. Uh, and he's actually doing a sports science uh, segment uh, upcoming. I don't know if it's come out, but um, but he's a he's a very good athlete. He's a guy that uh, that I would watch out for there. Um, I think that you look at Dion Jones, the linebacker out of LSU. This is another guy that isn't necessarily talked about that often, but he went to he went back to LSU after having pretty much what should be considered a blowout combine. Um, he went back to LSU and improved on it even more by running a 4-3-8. Um, and Deion Jones is a guy that you look at him on film, it's not just it's not just speed. It's not speed that you just see on the track and you don't see on the film. This guy plays like, you know, like lightning in a bottle. And he's, he's even more aggressive and quicker in his mind 
than he is in his body, if that, if that can be believed. He is one of the more aggressive linebackers that I've seen this year uh, in terms of diagnosing the play and really hammering the line of scrimmage and getting after, getting after the ball or getting after his gap uh, and collapsing the, uh, the integrity of the run blocking. Uh, and then in coverage, of course, I mean, this guy runs a, a flat 4-4, and can be trusted. You know, one thing that you see in LSU, they played Texas Tech at the end of the year, and um, this was a a very tough matchup, even though it didn't necessarily look like one on paper. But with Texas Tech's spacing and the speed with Jakeem Grant, who, by the way, uh, he may have he may have actually run the fastest forty that anybody's seen at a pro day. I mean, there's 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 some controversy about this and uh and some disagreement but it, it he ran with the wind and one of that one of those times with the wind might have been the fastest anybody's ever timed by the way um so LSU had to face this that they faced it with a dime defense and they had uh Deion Jones and Kendall Beckwith as the two linebackers with three defensive line and they had to have Kendall Beckwith because of the speed of Texas Tech basically act as a pass rusher. He was a fourth pass rusher the entire the entire game. So the only real linebacker there in the middle of that defense was Deion Jones. And to look at what he did and the assignments that he drew in that game, I mean, that speed was such an asset. And one of the reasons they were able to bottle up that, uh, that offense and, and stay with everybody, this guy is as fast as a fast safety. And so, uh, you know, he is only 220 to 225 pounds, but he has a linebacker build. He does not look like, uh, say, a Sulak Ravens with uh, USC, who looks like a defensive back. Let's be honest, he plays like a defensive back. Deion Jones doesn't look like a defensive back. He, he looks like a linebacker, and he plays like a linebacker. And he's physically aggressive like a linebacker, and he's actually very powerful, very strong, for his body, you put on maybe five, eight pounds of weight on him, and he's Levante David essentially. Um, so this is a guy that I think I think had a good combine, had a great pro day, and, pro day, and is going to climb up a lot of boards. Um, maybe you know, kind of in competition with Darren Lee, who people already know about of Ohio State. Yeah, and Darren Lee is somebody who is really projected at this point, after running a 4-4-3 as a mid-first-round pick. Deion Jones, I, I've seen in that second-round area, really two questions. Number one, do you think Deion Jones will end up going in the first round? And secondly, if he's there at 42 for the Dolphins, is he somebody that you take? And now you put him in that defense with Jelani Jenkins and with Kiko Alonso, and now you can cover a lot of ground at the linebacker position. Uh, well, and a two-parter there. I don't know that he's going to go in the mid-first, for for example. I don't. I suppose it's possible that he could creep into the bottom of the first round, especially if teams start taking to him and thinking about him as like a Dayon Buchanan or somebody like that, uh, sure. who uh, Arizona has had success with. Um, so they could they could uh, creep him up that way. Shaq Thompson is another guy who did well uh, for Carolina last year on the defense, even though he was really raw and people doubted him all the way. Um, so he could creep up there. Uh, I haven't really been a huge fan of Darren Lee. We'll see where he ends up shaking out. Now, as for what the Dolphins will do, I don't think they would take Deion Jones, um, even though they would come at that speed, but it's starting to look like a little bit too much of the same thing. Too many will backers, basically. Um, if you look at it, between Jelani Jenkins and Kiko Alonso, who is going to play Mike 
uh, middle linebacker probably more of necessity than anything else right now. Um, so you take a Deion Jones, it might just be a little bit too much of the same thing. So I, I, I don't know if that's I don't know if they're going to actually take it. I would love to see it, um, but uh, you know he would be a good value at 42 overall. I think they're going to they might look more toward a, uh, a Boston College uh, Stephen Daniels, who is a guy that is heavier, much stronger. He does not have the speed. He's more he, he has Colomisi speed. He timed out basically, and uh, tested out just like a Colomisi. But this guy diagnoses with the speed and uh, and accuracy of, you know, Luke Keekley, who came out of that same that same system. It's tremendous to watch these guys. You see a lot of linebackers, and you go through the film, and it's kind of ho-hum and kind of bland, and that includes Darren Lee at times. And then you see guys that are truly aggressive, that have a truly quick trigger, and are really, uh, really diagnosing and attacking the line of scrimmage and getting into the ball and getting into the blocking scheme quickly. And I think that Deion Jones is one of those guys, but he is a little light. And, uh, and Stephen Daniels of Boston College is another one of those guys who is one of the most instinctive and smartest guys I've seen this year. And, uh, and he is a lot heavier. He looks and plays just like Stephen Tullock and just like uh, Vontae's perfect. Uh, his, his, the, the similarity between he and Fonte's perfect is uh, striking. Where would you see Daniels going in the NFL draft? That, that's a name that a lot of Dolphins fans and a lot of really NFL draft fans haven't heard a whole heck of a lot about. Uh, is this a third, fourth-round guy, or do you see him going a little bit higher? Oh, no, I, I think that he's a late-round guy. Um, let's face it, the linebackers in the NFL world that run in the uh, – that run in the four seven four, eight. eight, you know, four. Yeah. Uh, he ran, I think, uh, handheld four four seven six or four seven eight. Um, you know, those guys they're just they're just not covered, especially Mike linebackers that don't that don't have a whole lot of speed that way. And you look at his his numbers, his pure production numbers uh, aren't great. What he did a lot of at Boston College is a lot of other players on that defense should be thanking him for their production because what he did is he really he really destroyed a lot of plays and made it so that other guys could make the play because he had a very quick quick line and a very aggressive mentality. He went and destroyed a lot of blocking and allowed guys to, to mop up after creating hesitation in either the quarterback or the running back. Um, so I think that that's the kind of guy, that's not the kind of guy that's going to go high. I think that you can get him. You know, Bonte's perfect. If you remember, he was a. He ended up. Did he end up an undrafted free agent or something yeah, like that? Yeah, he did. He, was, he ran a. He ran a. Yeah, I don't think he trained to run the the forty time because I think he ran a five one, and 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 you know that he's faster than that. So no, he wasn't drafted. Yeah, yeah and and this was a guy that was in the running at times for you know these linebacker awards. Bonte's um, perfect was so. He was he was on top of everybody's radar as a linebacker for a very long time, but ultimately went undrafted just because his numbers weren't good, his, you know, his measurables weren't that good, and and teams aren't going to draft middle linebackers with, you know, kind of ho hum measurables, uh, you know, very high. So I think that you're going to look at Stephen Daniels pretty late in the draft, but that doesn't mean that they couldn't actually end up playing him and he couldn't end up being an asset to the defense. He's a guy that mm-hmm. I'd be pretty intrigued with. 
He would. And, you know, looking at the Dolphins uh, position by position, linebacker isn't the biggest need for them. But, you know, if you have somebody there in the fifth, sixth, seventh round uh, that that's available, then that can make a lot of sense. So we started talking here with C.K. Parrott about the cornerback position. We got off on linebackers, which is perfectly fine because we want to talk about everybody before we actually get to April 28th. So, Chris, going back on the cornerback spot, if I'm hearing you correctly, you've got uh, Jalen Ramsey, Vernon Hargreaves, Eli Apple, Will Jackson as your top four. Uh, if that's correct, who would your number five be? Actually, going back to that, I, I consider Jalen Ramsey to be a safety, so I would I would, okay. I would kind of move him out of that group. I think that uh, as far as William Jackson goes, I would put him probably below Mackenzie Alexander. Um, the three that I think the Dolphins will be considering will be Vernon Hargreaves, Eli Apple, and Mackenzie Alexander. Now let's stick with uh, for for just a second, uh, and I'll I'll set this up a little bit. Is uh, some of the criticism against him is that he didn't have an interception, uh, I, I believe, in his entire college career. Uh, but sure. also, when you look at that, it, the guy plays for Clemson, one of the top-rated teams in the nation. Yeah, no interceptions in his college career. Started 27 games in his college career, no interceptions. But when you look at him, he also completion percentage against him was 33%. So the way I look at those numbers and the way I think anybody should is uh, it was a low percentage of passes thrown, uh, completed against him, and teams started to shy away from him a lot. Is that an accurate assessment with Mackenzie Alexander, or is there something we're missing? I think – no, I think that is that is accurate. I think that, first off, um, you have to – this is not a guy necessarily that had a full – uh, schedule of starts for four years and a lot of chance to be productive. Um, this is, in some ways, when you're a corner, uh, it's just like basketball. It's a make-or-miss league. Um, you're, you only get a few opportunities sometimes, and uh, and you got to make 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 use or make do with those opportunities. And so he does bear some responsibility for uh, for not capitalizing on some of the opportunities he did have. But um, this is. I, I don't think that this is a really big, uh, scary factor for teams when looking at him. I think that you're going to look on tape and you're going to see some instances where he did get beat and maybe the ball didn't get completed and, and maybe that would concern you a little bit more than this. Um, I don't, but I, I'm not too overly concerned. You know, Eli Apple really didn't make that many plays on the ball either. If you want guys that make plays on the ball, you're going to take William Jackson because he – you know, batted down a, a ridiculous number of passes. He had some interceptions and um, and and made plays that way. But then you look at William Jackson's, uh, you know, his footwork and his technique and and uh, the knowledge of his assignments, and, and it's just not there. You can't trust the guy, especially as a rookie. I don't think. Um, so you know, you, you're already understanding that these guys are better at getting out on the field and executing their assignments and doing what they need to do to be successful early in their careers uh, as opposed to, you know, taking the guy with seven that happened to get seven interceptions this year. Yeah, and when you look at it, a lot of guys who are going to be undrafted will have four, five, six interceptions in their collegiate career. It doesn't necessarily translate to NFL playmaking or to NFL success. So looking, Chris, at this, and I'll tell you my theory on this and why the Dolphins were okay going from the eighth spot to the 13th. Just my theory is that they looked at the board and said, you know what, at 13, we are comfortable taking a group of cornerbacks. And I think included in that were 
were Vernon Hargreaves, Eli Apple, potentially Will Jackson, uh, Mackenzie Alexander, more than likely Alexander's higher on that list as well. And when you look at that group, the Hargreaves, Apple, Alexander, and Jackson, then there's no way that one of them are not going to be available at 13. Do you think that's a possibility, or am I off my rocker? No, I think that's a possibility. I think you look, the combination of players that there. But you have to remember that this trade was probably not driven by anything to do with uh, the the draft or the group available in the draft. In fact, I, I have it on pretty strong authority that uh, there there has not been a whole lot of law, at least not the full slate of work on the draft, or there had not been at that time the full slate of work on the draft that you might have seen in other years by that point in, t- point in time. I think that they were a little bit delayed in what they got going with the draft because of the coach search the, and the, um, the new coaching staff. And, and um, I think that this, this trade was driven by Byron Maxwell and Kiko Alonso. I think it was driven by the need to cover a bunch of positions that were empty, including the Brent Grimes position, as that decision got made from on high – that Miko was no longer going to be part of the family. Um, Yay! So I think, you know, I think that uh, that the, with the decision to get rid of Brent Grimes and move on from them, uh, they they're looking at it, and we just got to fill some positions. And they got, in their view, they got three for one here. Uh, they got two starters in Kiko Alonso and Byron Maxwell, and they're going to get a third starter at number thirteen overall. And if you talk to if you talk to those guys, they're going to say that's that's a no brainer. Um, mm-hmm. So I think this was driven by that, not necessarily driven by the by the the, the machinations of of the draft and who's going to be available where and when. I think that there is there has been a feeling from early on that this draft didn't have a whole lot of elite players. Um, so I think that there was there wasn't they didn't feel too bad about it that way. So right. yeah, they don't have they don't have a lot of elite players uh, on the board. Period. But really, this is about getting three for one. Now let me ask you this, Chris: uh, if if the if we're sitting there on draft night and you you start to see Miles Jack or Ronnie Stanley fall to that number eight pick, are you going to start looking back and thinking, you know what, maybe I think a little bit differently about falling from eight to thirteen? <laughs> well, uh, Miles Jack would certainly start to make you. Make you think about it, <laughs> Ronnie Stanley. I have, I have a uh, a very high grade on. Uh, I'm not sure that other people agree with me there, um, and I also don't think that it's a big need. So I, I'm not going to feel terrible about Ronnie Stanley falling down the board. And uh, but if Miles Jack did fall down the board to number eight overall, then you know you probably or Jalen Ramsey for that matter uh, would be. You'd be thinking to yourself, you know. Dang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. C.K. Parrott joining us here on the Fin side. We're covering cornerbacks this week, and we're going to start delving into a lot more positions as we ramp up for the NFL draft. Because I, I hate it when when people wait till April for the NFL draft to start looking at players, and then they think they're experts on the situation. Chris does this year round. Uh, I, I try to do it for the last four or five months of the year. Eventually, I'll get to year round as well. So, Chris, looking at the cornerback situation in the second round. So now we've talked about. You know, Jalen Ramsey as a safety, Hargreaves, Eli Apple, Mackenzie Alexander, Will Jackson. Looking at that second round, you've got also a couple of guys that are projected there that I've seen all over the place. 
you know, I, I think it's unlikely the Dolphins go back-to-back cornerback in the first two rounds, given the youth and uh, ability on their team, at least physical ability um, as well. But is there anybody that you see there in the second round out of that mix of, you know, Kendall Fuller from Virginia Tech, Artie Burns from Miami, Cyrus Jones from Alabama, Kavari Russell from Notre Dame. Anybody that really jumps out at you as somebody that, hey, if they're there at 42, maybe I think about going back-to-back cornerback. Well, one guy that you didn't name that um, that I, I keep a little bit of an eye on. I don't know that I don't know if he's going to climb this high or not, but um, Maurice uh, Maurice Kennedy. I don't know exactly how to pronounce his last name. From uh, Virginia, yeah, from, from Virginia. He's another guy with a lot of length. Uh, looking at him on tape, this is a guy. He, he clearly made some business decisions with respect to his pursuit of the ball and tackling. But uh, it's sort of a, a business decision is, is made with intelligence, and that's what he did. Uh, he knew to cover his gap. He knew to shut down the outside. Uh, but what he would do is he would shut down the outside and he would cover his gap and then wait for somebody else to get the ball. He didn't have that attack mentality always about fighting through the block even after shutting down the gap and, uh, and, and getting, getting to the ball carrier. Uh, except in one situation, and the, and the one exception for, for that was on screen plays. And on screen plays, he was like a pit bull um, because he knew that he was the, he was the guy. He was the, he was the guy that needed to get the ball down in that situation. Uh, but in coverage, this is a very versatile player. He's, he's lengthy, he's tall, uh, but he has very quick hits and, uh, and speed. And uh, and you watch him move around out there. He can play inside and out. As a taller guy, that's a little bit unique. You know, taller guys you think of being a, on the perimeter. Um, and and this guy really moved inside and did did fine with it. And he's and his 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 brain, I guess, is uh, is attractive on film because he can clearly uh, and quickly diagnose routes and diagnose the quarterback's intentions and also route combinations. And he's just a very natural in coverage. Um, and so this is a guy that I would pay attention to. And you think that maybe when he gets into the big leagues and, uh, and they start putting some pressure on him to, uh, to tackle and get after the ball, you're hoping that your team culture will take over. Um, this is a lot like the Miami Heat with the, the defensive culture that they have. Uh, you come to Miami, you play defense. Well, hopefully the Dolphins can instill a little bit of that culture and get a guy like him to to stop making business decisions with respect to going after the ball, and then you just have a guy that is very gifted in coverage, um, and, that, and that has you know with with his length, his speed, agility, and uh, and you know his recognition. Uh, I, I would think that this would be a guy that you'd look at in the second round too. Interesting. And not a name that's really being projected in the second round as much. Maybe inside league circles you might know something that we don't on that. But some of these players like Well, more third Kennedy, round, but we'll see. Yeah, you know, and, and some of these some of these players, it doesn't take much for them between February and late April to jump up. You remember, you know, for example, Stanford route many years ago at that cornerback spot, uh, jump jumps all the way up to that second round. Then again, the Raiders were making the pick in Al Davis at that time, but <laughs> that's a whole different uh, conversation. So, Chris, looking at that cornerback spot, anybody maybe toward the end of the draft that, that you really have your eye on that, that could be a sleeper maybe in those middle of rounds? Uh, yeah, there's there's a guy that I was looking at. Well, first off, we talked about Jonathan Jones of Auburn before, um, 
and I, I am a believer in him. I, I, I like him quite a bit, but but we have discussed him. Um, there's a guy in Purdue, uh, I'm forgetting his first name, begins with an A. Uh, I think his last name is Brown. Um, I just recently looked at him, and this is a guy with a lot of physical ability, a lot of speed, agility. Uh, he actually reminds me of another guy that I like that was from my hometown, uh, South Florida Bulls, uh, Kayvon Webster. And Kayvon Webster was a guy that went to the Denver Broncos, I believe in the third round, has been a solid rotational player in their defense and also a very standout special teams guy and just good overall teammate on a Super Bowl winning team. And this is what I kind of imagine for, um, for, for the Purdue kid. Uh, and I think uh, also, if I'm not mistaken, Lou Anarumo has some Purdue roots. Um, so, you know, you could see, you could see a look at him that way, but I think he ran like a four, three, two handheld. Um, and on film, you see him, what I, what I like about him, you see him make plays a number of different ways. And he's obviously a well-muscled kid, a very hard working kid, uh, and well-liked among his teammates. And it's kind of that good overall package. The guy that's been, uh, that's been working hard the whole time, that's starting to make good, and then you turn around and you say, you know what, you're, you're actually pretty, pretty dang fast and pretty, and pretty talented. Um, I think you can play in this league. And this is so. This is a guy that you'd be looking at in the, that seventh or sixth round type area. Um, if he doesn't go higher, I mean, I thought, I kind of thought that with Kayvon Webster as well, uh, and he ended up in the third round. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, Anthony Brown, the cornerback from uh, Purdue, ran a four three three, and and also too, it looks like he may have some some versatility to to play some safety. And I'll tell you, regardless if it's him or another player, I think I'm getting to the point. I don't even like safeties anymore in the NFL draft. Period. The pure safeties. Looking back at like DJ Swearinger, for example, you know people kept yeah. saying when he was coming out, it, it, a player I liked too at the time uh, when mm-hmm. he came out. It was. It, it, what they were saying is, oh, this guy's a thumper. He's a big hitter. Well, being a big hitter is illegal in the NFL now, so it doesn't really yeah. freaking matter on that. So, yeah. uh, you know, and, the safeties. One of the reasons that you pick on the safeties and that you don't like them, and and this is this is a lot like the guard position really in the NFL or in the NFL draft as well, is and the middle linebacker position. If you go to, they tend to be slow. These guys coming out of college that are playing the safety position. Uh, you really tend to start throwing them away and, and start going for the corner to safety converts because the safeties, the real safeties, tend to be real slow. Uh, there aren't that uh-huh. many of them that are very compelling uh, coming out of the draft every year. So that's that's one reason that that you'd be um, you know reluctant. And that's why I like the guy that they signed uh, that you mentioned earlier, Isa Abdul Kadus um, from Detroit, because he is a fast guy. I mean, he ran. Uh, he says he ran a four two seven, and that that that's on videotape when he was coming out of Fordham. Uh, he he ran uh, he ran really fast. I mean, NFL draft scout says it was a four four seven. I think there's some disagreement there. We're not sure, but on tape he looks faster than four four seven. So I'm I'm steering more toward the four four area, four uh, four flat as far as his tape goes. Uh, and this is a guy that along the way at uh, at both New Orleans and Detroit, he just played wherever they wanted him to play. When he was in New Orleans and he had to play, the other guy was Roman Harper. So what do you play? You play free safety. You play deep. He made plays that way. I think he started four games and he got a couple of interceptions in those 
those four games. And then he's in Detroit, and the guy you got to start opposite against because of injury is uh, is Glover Quinn. And you play an opposite Glover Quinn. Well, Glover Quinn isn't going to play uh, strong safety. He's a free safety. So now you're playing strong safety. You're an in-the-box guy. And people are like, oh, well, this, this must be an in-the-box safety. Well, no, this is just a really smart and versatile and athletic player and physical and physically aggressive that's going to do whatever you need done. And that's why they signed him. He was a favorite among the, uh, the front office people and among scouting types. Um, and so they signed him, and they said, you know what, we're, we're going to use him as a versatile player opposite Rashad Jones, and we can have Rashad Jones and he kind of flip back and forth between that free safety, strong safety role, and, uh, and we're also going to get a lot of speed on the film and just a, a real humble, hardworking guy. So, uh, so I, I think mm-hmm. this, is, this is a good signing for them. I, IAK, we're just going to call him on this show. And, yeah, it's somebody who, pro football focus, you know, take them for what they're worth. But, uh, you know, somebody who in the last, what, seven or eight weeks of the year ha- had him as, as their top-rated safety uh, grading out. And he, he does have the measurables. He does have the size. And we're just looking for somebody who's going to hold down the Ford at free safety. We've seen enough of Michael Thomas and Walt Aikens and Delmas going down and, you know, Chris Clemens not being able to to catch passes uh, or, or intercept a lot of passes. Just get somebody who's going to be back there and do their job. So, you know, sticking on their theme of the cornerback position here tonight, Chris, uh, you know, we, we've bypassed a, a lot of guys here in the second, third round area. Kendall Fuller, Cyrus Jones, Kavari Russell, Harlan Miller, Artie Burns, a lot of guys that go down the board. Is there anybody that you look at, you know, as a second, third round candidate and compared to everybody else that think, you know, I just don't get it. I don't understand why he's projected this high. Oh, well, guys that I don't see projected that high. I, I, I've never predicted guys you don't like as much as other people. Yeah, guys, guys I don't like as much as other people. I, I think that um, I've had I've had trouble at times seeing. It depends on where we're talking about because. Some people have them high, some people have them have them lower. But I mean, Cyrus Jones is a good player uh, at Alabama, but I, I'm not sure I'm not sure how high I'd be or how much I'd be willing to pay for it. Um, so you know, if, if we're talking about him at 42 overall, I'm not sure I'm not sure that I, I'd be on board. I think that there are some some more compelling players that you might might be able to pick up. Uh, I mm-hmm. wouldn't say that I have a whole lot of guys in in that. Um, at that position that I'm just, I'm just opposed to, not even Cyrus Jones, really. Uh, I think that there's a lot of talent there. I know that Miami does like Artie Burns, so they're, they're going to take a look at him. Um, uh, so, but overall, I think, I mean, what I, what I tend to think when I'm looking at that position is you do have that top group um, in terms of uh, Vernon Hargreaves, Eli Apple, Mackenzie Alexander, uh, and then you kind of have a William Jackson who might be a little bit in between. He, if he got to 42 overall, then all of a sudden I'm, I'm fully on board. You know, let's do it. Uh, I don't think he's going to get to 42 overall. I think that he's, uh, he's, he's climbing a little too high for that. Um, but then after you get through with that group, I'm, I'm just not that excited about any of them at 42 overall coming in necessarily and, and holding down the start all year. Uh, so I, I think that they they have to if they if they enter the draft with that need the need the way it's stacked right now, then they probably got to be looking at that at 13 overall and not trying to get cute with it at 42 overall. But that's just that's just kind of my opinion right now. 
Absolutely. C.K. Parrott has been kind enough to join us here tonight, heading up into the NFL draft, looking at the Dolphins' needs. The cornerback position uh, is one of those spots. Uh, We're going to talk about guard, defensive end, running back as the weeks move forward. Chris, is there anything else you'd like to add tonight uh, before we let you go? Uh, No, no, I think that uh, we've covered a lot of ground here, so... (laughs) Yeah, well, we look forward to covering more. So uh, have a good night, and, uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk to you soon. Uh, uh, if your schedule allows, we'll get you involved next week. But uh, otherwise, have a good night, all right? Okay, you too, guys. Thanks a lot. All right. So, Paul, we definitely covered a lot there. So the cornerback position is certainly going to be interesting uh, uh, as we move forward. Anything that really sticks out uh, that, that CK had mentioned uh, that, that you think Dolphins fans should keep in mind? Um, I, I... – I do think a lot of Dolphins fans should keep this in mind. It's more of a generalization. But when when I asked him about Eli Apple and the fact that he indicated a lot of teams have Eli graded right where everybody's projecting him now, as opposed to where all the media outlets were were putting it out there. I'd encourage folks, if, if they see a player they like, go out and do their own research for this because, let's face it, the media is not going to nail everything. And in a lot of cases, you're going to see players fly off the board that because of what the media puts out there, you're going to be like, oh, my God, they took him way too early, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in actuality, uh, maybe the Dolphins, the Cowboys, and three other teams had the guy rated in their top ten picks. So the media is nice, uh, but at the same time, if if they were half the experts that that we make them out to be, they'd probably be doing their own coaching at the moment. Um, so I would take right. that with a grain of salt and just, just look at the players yourself. Use what they put out there to get a general idea. But then if somebody seems like a reach, they really may not be because there's four or five clubs that are vying for them at the point they were probably taken. Unless Al Davis suddenly comes back to life and just randomly grabs a player off the board in the first round with a third-round projection because they ran a 4-3. Um, Al <laughs> never went by that book. But besides that, he, I mean, yeah. yeah right, and, and you look at, you know, it only takes one team. You look at Shaq Thompson last year, who the who, who CK brought up. He's, he's a player that I think around draft time we, we thought would go second, third round. Ends up going 25th, is a good fit for their team, plays that hybrid safety linebacker spot that Deion Buchanan uh, has has fallen into in Arizona as well, and now it, it makes sense, and it looks like a good pick at this time. So it all depends uh, on where that goes. So that's all we have for you tonight. And to, and to finish off, I'll have a quote from Adam Gase, tweeted by Armando Salguero. Um, this answer, this is an answer to to a reporter's question, and Armando tends to have a feud with a certain other you know, newspaper station. Um, uh, it has Sun in its title, and it has a, a, a specific reporter that we don't have to mention on this show. Uh, so, on talk of moving Walt Aikens back to cornerback, he said, oh, there is? That's news to me. We haven't talked about it. Your sources are terrible. You're 0 for 4. Good night, everybody. If it's not on the right side and it's not on the left side, it's on the fin side. Have a great night. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.